Well, good evening, and it's good to be with you all. My name is John McCombs. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at City Reform. I want to, to welcome you. I want to personally invite you to come back next week for Pastor Nauman's ordination. And as you all know, there's nothing like moving into a house one day and trying to throw a welcome open house the next. But that's what we've decided to do. So uh, you can applaud us for our courage, if not our wisdom. Okay. Uh, so next Sunday night, I'm going to invite you to uh, turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 3. The words are printed on page 6 of your bulletin. It's a short text of Scripture. And so we'll be taking a look at this uh, together tonight, as is our custom here in the evening service. Uh, I, after I finish reading God's Word, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. And if you, you could respond with thanks be to God. So hear now the Word of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again one more time. Father in heaven, Lord, we pray now that you would be pleased to open up our hearts, Lord, that we might behold wondrous things from your law. And Father, not just open up our hearts and our eyes and our minds, Lord, but create in us a hunger and a thirst for you, a desire to be in your word and seeking your face. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't know how people introduce a sermon on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, before about 1985. But since then, I got an idea of how a lot of people have introduced this sermon. And so let me just start with a question. Are there any milk lovers out there? I mean the real stuff, okay? Like cow's milk, okay? Milk, really, you know, not almond milk and, uh, and coconut milk. Like milk comes from a mammary gland. So real milk, are there milk lovers? Okay, so there are some milk lovers out there. And so most sermons since then probably started with the question, got milk, right? Because that just dominated basically the 1990s and up into the early 2000s, maybe even like into 2015. I mean, this thing just still went on and on. It was the gift that kept on giving. So you might remember the Got Milk ad campaign. Well, before that one in the 90s, in the 80s, there was another slogan. It was milk. It does a body good, right? Do you remember that one? We're into the 80s now. I realize some of you were not born in the 80s, perhaps. But milk, it does a body good, right? Advertising all the health benefits and the strong bones and the wonderful teeth it will give you and all those things. So before it got milk, there was milk. It does a body good. It was a very significant campaign let me just read to you a few uh, statistics here. A little article, uh, June 2018 article by Matthew Dodonna on the website Fast Company. He said, a perfect encapsulation of the 90s, Got Milk is an indelible piece of advertising turned pop culture. If the 90s were the decade that saw celebrity culture reach a new apex, the campaign is its holy grail. It was a wellspring of stars of film, TV, sports, and politics a swap meet of high and low, where Bill Clinton and Bob Dole occupy the same advertising universe as Van Halen and Dennis Rodman. And the Simpsons are as potent a reference as Diane Arbus. 
During the two decades that Got Milk dominated the public consciousness, more than 70 commercials ran on television in California alone, and some 350 milk mustache ads ran nationally in print and on TV at a time when those two media were still all powerful. This is the mind-blowing one. Any given day, an estimated 80% of all U.S. consumers came into contact with that innocent little question, got milk. Right? Any given day, 80% of America saw an ad or saw the commercial, right? It was just ubiquitous. Well, today's test, I think, asks a similar question, got milk. But it asks it in spiritual terms. It's a different kind. And this text today also builds on uh, Dave Snoke's text from last week, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 22 through 25. I don't think they can be fully separated, so I think we just need to start there very quickly before we move on. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 25 reads thus, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Those verses were in your additional scriptures. I apologize for not pointing that out ahead of time. But as we read those verses, there are some huge themes in there that Dave did a great job of unpacking, not only showing us what they mean, but how then, in light of them, we are to treat one another as image bearers of God, all made in uh, his image and bearing that inherent uh, dignity. These verses couldn't be clearer that uh, we are born again by God's grace, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit by the living and abiding word of God, which is imperishable. That is, it lasts forever. In being born again, we've been cleansed, as we look at verse 22, having purified your souls. You can think there Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, which is in your additional scriptures. And we've also been made new. You can think there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which I'll just read for you uh, briefly. If you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. Behold, the old has passed. New things have come. So we see this idea of both cleansing and being uh, made new. This is the good news from 1 Peter chapter, uh, the end of chapter 1 that was preached to you. Having purified your souls, then we get this charge really to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And that's where today's text really picks up, building on those themes. So we move on, and verse 1 comes out of the gate swinging. And it says uh, very clearly, so in light of what we've read, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put away all of those things. 
This is very similar to what the Apostle Paul will say multiple times. You can think of Ephesians chapter 4, which is in your additional scriptures. You can think of Colossians chapter 3. Paul there talking about the old man and the new man or the old self versus the new self and putting off the old and putting on the new, those great themes we see in scripture. And it's very clear here that Peter is meditating on Psalm 34, even this early in this text. Of course, we'll see it very clearly later, but even right now, Psalm 34 verse 13 in your additional scriptures uh, reminds us to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So we're told to put away all, all malice, that is desire from our hearts to injure or harm others. When we do that, we have purposeful design or intent to harm. We're we're, we're told to put away all deceit, a, a definite attempt to distort or to twist or to hide or to undermine the truth. Again, it's intentional. We're told to put away all hypocrisy. Perhaps not the way we commonly think of it, more so false acting or play acting, trying to deceive others about how spiritual we are. Perhaps you've had that done to you, perhaps you've done that to somebody else. Made yourself look so righteous because of a scripture you knew or a a deed you had done, and at the same time, perhaps your brother or your sister left away feeling uh, diminished. We're told to put away all envy, that is violence to our neighbor when we envy. And it's an insult to our God because he's given us all of the things that we have. And he's sovereign over all those things. So to want what somebody else has is to question his sovereignty and his providence. Even more so to seek after material things in light of the pearl of great price which he has given us in the Lord Jesus Christ envy and want those things in light of all that he has given us. And lastly, to put away slander. That is speaking ill of our neighbor, often out of envy. Slander, really accusing, that's, that's literally Satan's name, the accuser of the brethren. So Paul tells us, or Peter tells us here very clearly to put away all of these. And we need to ask the question first, well, how? Do I put these away? Because every single one of those things we've, we've experienced, we've either done them or we've done them to other people. And, and, you know, not back before we were Christians, but since we've become Christians. So how are we to put them away? Well, Edmund Clowney in his commentary on First Peter was helpful here. As we think about this, as we meditate on this. And Clowney says, even when Peter lists the evils from which they have been cleansed, he is describing what has already happened to them as God's gospel has changed their hearts. You see, Peter is telling us to put away what God has already put away. What God in his grace has already removed from us as far as the east is from the West. So the how starts by realizing that God has already put them away. Like the reality is they're not there anymore unless we bring them back. So living in light of that knowledge where we put them away. They're not there. We don't have to do these things to our brothers. 
to our brothers and sisters. We can use our words, as Paul encourages in Ephesians chapter 4, to build one another up in love. We don't have to tear down. There's nothing in us making us do that anymore. Christ took that away. But we have to feed that new man and not that old man. So how, I think, starts by realizing God has already put them away. And why we should put them away? Well, because God has given all of us, if we're in Christ, new and cleansed hearts that are free from these things. Why would we dirty it up? Why would we take this new heart that seeks after God, not the heart of stone, but the heart of flesh, and mix something so impure in it as malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, especially since our Lord has already taken them from us. So how He already has, why? Because He's made us new. We do not have to. We've been born again. That man has been put to death. That woman has been put to death. So having been born again, having been set free from malice, and all of these things, all manners of evil, you are now free. You are now free to grow in grace through God's word. And Peter tells us just as much in verse 2. He'll tell us they're like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now here's a trick question for you. Can an infant drink from his or her mother's breast before he's born or before she's born? Can they do that before they're born? Granted, they're being fed by the mother through an umbilical cord, right? They're being fed, but can they drink the milk from the mother's breast? Well, no, they cannot. But after birth, what happens? They're craving it. They're craving it from the second they are born. They want to be put on that mother's breast and fed right away with that pure breast milk. All of our years of science have come up with nothing better. There's no better formula that man has made than what God has put inside a woman for her very children. So infants crave it. There's nothing better for them. Now, this idea of milk in this passage being brought up, this pure spiritual milk, I'll grant you that in other passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, there's talk of milk versus meat. And you need to grow up beyond the milk and move on to the meat. That's really not in Peter's view here. That's not the point of what he is saying, that we need to move from the meat to the milk. We can see that elsewhere. But Peter here is encouraging us to long for what's pure. To long for the Word of God, which is pure and makes us grow in our faith. There's a purpose to the milk that's in a mother, and there's a purpose for the Word of God in our lives. Newborn infants have an innate desire to grow, to be nourished. They need milk for it, pure milk, and so it is with our growth. We need spiritual milk, the very Word of God that we too might 
grow up, that we might be nourished spiritually. And by the way, the word for grow up here, it's passive. It's passive. So what do we do? Well, we drink the milk. And the milk is what makes us grow. The Word of God is what makes us grow. The pure Word of God, the milk of God's Word is what grows us. So it's our job to feed on it. And God gives the increase. He gives the growth. Now there are two things that will prevent this growth. If you've been born again, there are two things that will prevent this growth. The first, the first is pretty obvious. No milk. If you're not in God's word, you'll be stunting your very growth. You'll be stuck as a newborn infant in Christ for all of your days. And you need to ask yourself, where is then my appetite? If I am born again, where is my hunger and desire for these things? Second thing, spoiled milk. Now all you milk lovers out there, I'm sure you don't love it enough to love spoiled milk, do you? I mean, confession here, I don't drink any of it. I don't drink regular milk, I don't drink spoiled milk, I don't drink cow's milk, I don't drink almond, I don't drink any kind of milk. So I'm asking you guys here, you love milk, but I've smelled spoiled milk. And I trust you don't love spoiled milk, no matter how much you love milk. Are we seeking pure spiritual milk? The Word of God. To answer the deepest questions that burn within us. To fill the deepest longings of our hearts. Are we looking for them there? And there alone? Or are we mixing in the world's ideas about God, about love, about life, about sex, about money, about relationships. Spoiled milk will also hurt your growth. And just like spoiled milk will give you quite a stomachache, perhaps some vomiting, you will have to gag those things back out eventually. You will have to spit them out in order to have the pure milk of God's Word fill you. The picture that Peter paints here as if, the very, as if the very Word of God is inside you. It's your life. It has regenerated you. It has caused you to be born again to a living hope. And it's also what is cleansing you. It is what is purifying you. It is what is growing you. But we're not above spiritual contamination if we're drinking spoiled spiritual milk. And we're not above dehydration (laughs) if we're not partaking of God's word regularly. We need what's pure. We need God's word. We need it to grow up into salvation. And we need lots of it. Lots more than most of us are probably taking in on a daily basis. We need it, and we need lots of it. 
The quote on the inside front cover is another Edmund Clowney. I've included three tonight. This will be our second. He has this to say. Christians who have been given new birth by the word must also grow. They are cleansed by the converting power of the gospel. But they must mature in their new life. What will advance their growth? What will deepen their love? The same truth of God that gave them birth also nourishes them. If the word of God is water to wash us, it is also milk to build better bodies in Christ. Christians must be addicted to the Bible. Are you addicted to the Bible? Can you go a day without it? Or two days, or three days, or five days, or a week, or two weeks, or three weeks, or a month? Or are you addicted? Is, your very, is it your very life? Peter, quoting Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, concludes with a very simple challenge for us in saying, and we read in verse 3, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good forces us to ask the question if we have tasted the Lord's goodness. If we have, surely we desire more. To steal another famous ad slogan, bet you can't eat just one, right? Frito-Lay's chips just taste so good. There's no way you can eat just one. Oh, if it's that tasty. How much tastier is God's word? There's no way you can just taste it once. There's no way you can just taste it and be good for a week. There's no way you can taste it and even be good for a couple days. When you really taste it, you want to eat it again and again and again. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 119, verses 103. Not one of the verses that you've heard yet. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Something that tastes so good surely isn't meant to just be eaten once. Surely it's not just meant to give us new life in Christ and then not be part of our lives every day. Edmund Clowney says it this way about God's word. Since God's word is his vocalized breath, it goes forth with the power of his spirit. Coming to the word is coming to the Lord himself. And that's exactly what we do, brother and sister in Christ, when we come to God's word. We are at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listening to His gracious words being poured over us again and again and again. And if you know how much you need those words, I want to encourage you to run there again and again and again. If indeed you have tasted the Lord Jesus Christ, in all His glory, in all His goodness, then know this, there's always room 
at his table. The food that never runs out. The milk of God's word is a never-ending fountain of goodness and mercy and his grace. And blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be satisfied. Let's pray.